Hello, and welcome to The Real Folk Reviews. I'm Samuel, and I first saw Waltz for Venus about 15 years ago. And I'm Georgie, and I first saw this episode about an hour ago. All right, three, two, one, let's jam. So, Georgie, how long do you think there is between two sunsets on Venus? I had never thought about it. 117 days. Oh! So, when Rocco tells him, meet me tonight, no, tomorrow night, he is making a long-term commitment with Spike. (laughs) (laughs) Would it be fair to assume that perhaps the writers didn't take into account the reality of the circadian rhythm of Venus. Are you suggesting this episode isn't completely realistic? Uh, I'm... well... uh, (laughs) (laughs) I guess we just have to accept that Venus days are the same length as Earth days. I think that's that's likely. Yeah. Or near enough. Um, (laughs) Mars days actually are, so this wasn't really a problem before. They're they're 24 and a bit hours. (laughs) But anyway. That's one of the reasons we think we can live on Mars, isn't it? Because it's closer to our experience of earth uh that may well be true i think it's part of it anyway yeah this episode begins with a commercial flight to venus and we have a plane jacking situation goes down yeah and it's actually i think it's the first time we've seen space travel on a more everyday level rather than it being people with big impressive spaceships darting about the solar system It's much more, here are some people just commuting, or maybe they're going on holiday. It's much more average travel. Yeah, it does kind of answer the question of how people who don't have their own spaceships get around, which I didn't realise I had until this episode, but it's (laughs) nice to have it answered. (laughs) Yeah, so we have a plane jacking in which, well, Spike and Faye come to the rescue in one of the most straightforward examples of them working as a team for the first time, really. And... Um, successfully getting their bounty, which never, ever happens. Yes, this is the first time, eight episodes in, <laughs> which we actually have them capture a bounty and see the, the thing through to completion. I think this episode kind of throws into a different light. We've had a lot of discussions in the past about Spike, because he often seems like he's not really intending to do things and just kind of lucks into them and how much intention there is in his movements and Mm. that sort of thing. And this one seems to be a case in point of there can be an awful lot of intention in his movements without it being immediately apparent. Yes, that's true. He has that sort of um, drunken monk style that is becoming more and more apparent when with this episode he starts off asleep or apparently asleep. Yes, whether or not it's a tactic. Yeah. And yet very, very lazily, it seems, taking down this plane jacker with very little effort whatsoever. Yeah, I guess I'd always assumed he was just pretending to be asleep, but I guess you could read the scene as he was genuinely asleep. He's just that good that he can I mean, that's how I want to read it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and, no. it, and it's also, again, part of a trend that's becoming more apparent in the last few episodes, I would say, of this fatigue he seems to carry around all the time. Yeah, he's often compared to a cat in the show, and cats are famed for yep. sleeping all the time. Yeah. He also, when we see him asleep, is wearing an eye mask with eyes on it. 
Yes. But I found there was a lot of foreshadowing at the beginning of this episode. There, there were quite a few instances. Um, once the plane jacking is um, over and done with, and Spike and Faye are um, exchanging the bounty that they have successfully gained, there were several moments, one after the other, and this happened through the episode as well, where you couldn't see their mouths moving. Oh, right, and yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if it's something you've picked up on as well. And it does happen in other episodes, but I picked up on it at the beginning of the episode before I knew there was going to be a blind character, and it just sort of connected together. Which I guess puts more focus on sound and eyes, I guess. Yeah, and also makes it easier for dubbing. That is very true. It mm. does make it much easier for dubbing and for the animators. But yeah, going back to that thing you said about his eye mask having uh, eyes on it, he's wearing a symbol which is saying, I'm pretending to be more alert than I am. Yes. And in fact, he's pretending to be much less alert than he is. So I guess, <laughs> yeah, I think you're definitely onto something with this apparent blindness and then there's functional blindness Yes. Uh, set up in this very silly opening scene. Also, little tidbit for when they arrive at the airport and, and Spike puts in like a bank card thing into mm. this machine to, to claim the bounty. I just really enjoyed the snapshot of the screen. Thank you for your capture. Oh, yes. <laughs> See you again next time. And I did find that very... <laughs> just, just enjoy that little tidbit. This episode was not aired on its first run in America on the network Adult Swim. Sorry, not the network. It's the Cartoon Network and Adult Swim was their late night programming section. Launched in 2001 to try and showcase animation that was suitable for adults. It's the same company that do Rick and Morty as well. Yes, so they produce original content and they also air adult animation. Yeah, but they, they were launched in 2001 and the first episode of Cowboy Bebop was showed on their opening night. Hmm. So it's quite important, Adult Swim, in terms of bringing Cowboy Bebop to a wider audience in the West, you know, just thinking 20 years ago that suddenly you could now turn on your TV and watch some anime that wasn't, you know, directed at children like Pokemon or that sort of thing. Mm, yeah. uh, but this is one of several episodes that they decided to pull in the original run because it features a plane jacking scene. And I mentioned, uh, yeah, 2001, mm -hmm. yeah. Too soon, guys, too soon. Yes, it was very much too soon then. It's strange thinking about it now because it's such like, it's not a serious scene at all, but I guess so close to that time, it must have been, you know, anything that seems even tangentially related. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of a, a global trigger yes. for people at the time. Yeah, definitely. So, yes, we're at the airport and we've already met Rocco on the plane looking nervous about his... Uh, yes, sweating over his package that he's clinging on to for dear life. Mm -hmm, his mysterious package. We... Um. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, there's going to be a lot of discussion of that package in this episode and now all of it is tainted. <laughs> Okay, now I'm going to have to tee up some more euphemisms for what else happens to the package. All right. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Uh, so, yes, <laughs> we meet Rocco trying to get... I guess he has two packages, which does make him an exceptional man. And he's, he's got one that he's carrying with him and one that he's trying to get delivered. <laughs> I guess anything's possible in space and in the future. Uh, <laughs> what are we talking about again? Okay, yeah, so Rocco drops off one package, continues to cling to the other, yeah. and then 
spots Spike in the airport and attempts to persuade him to become his uh, kung fu master. In this very kind of, like, a young child and a teenager, mm-hmm. there's very much that dynamic between oh, yes. Spike and Rocco, where it's like everything Spike does is cool and there's so much energy in Rocco, whereas Spike just wants to rest and be left alone. Yeah. Um, yes, I think I agree with that. Yeah, and Spike tries to get away from Rocco. Yeah, and uh, Rocco just keeps following him. Yeah, and I did I just a tiny moment that I enjoyed as well is that um Spike ducks into a lift and the doors close before Rocco can get in it. And he stood in the lift with a cigarette and there's a sign within the shot that says no smoking in four languages. Yes. <laughs> as he's smoking. <laughs> I just enjoyed that. And then the doors of the lift open and Rocco appears sweating because he's chased the lift. Yes. <laughs> to what, whichever floor he's now arrived at. Rocco's always drawn with those big, wired eyes as well, isn't he? Which very yeah, much. Yeah, he you. felt sort of like a Pokemon human. Yes. In that way. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, he does. He does have that vibe about him. Don't question me anymore about that, though, because I don't really watch or haven't watched Pokemon. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, they try and catch them all, which I guess is also what this show is about. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> I find it interesting. Given how much Spike invests in Rocco and Stella later as we go on in the episode, how initially reluctant he is to have any sort of interaction with him. Yeah. He just keeps trying to get away and keeps refusing, even after Rocco offers him something, he like takes it and then just walks away. But then very quickly he does... Develop. Yeah, yeah, really, really quickly. <laughs> Within minutes he is now giving Rocco a brief lesson in mm-hmm. martial arts just outside the airport, and basically just lands Rocco on his ass yep. um, and explains what, we've, what we saw earlier in that sort of, as I called it, a drunken monk style, yeah. that it's all about fluidity and being relaxed and not having any tense muscles. Yes. and being like water. Yes, uh, being like water. And then had an extended shot of the sky with Rocco's perspective being just landed flat on his back, looking up as Spike is explaining that. Yeah, which I guess kind of gives you a cue to A, focus on the words and B, just I guess it's kind of unusual in the episode to have this very frenetic character. So still you get a sense that he's really focusing on this. Mm. Spike is paraphrasing, but he's pretty much directly quoting Bruce Lee in this scene. It did feel familiar, but I couldn't have said why. Yeah, so what Lee said is, empty your mind, be formless, shapeless like water. You put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it into a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. Who does he say that to? Is it in a movie? Or it's, it... it's like in an interview. Uh, interesting. And I think I've mentioned before that Spike's fighting style is quite heavily modelled on Bruce Lee. You have, yes. Yeah. I didn't really have a wider point there other than just... Oh, it's just nice, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, yeah. So we have Rocco and Spike having this little lesson, and then we see the three men... Well, we did briefly see the three men who are following Rocco inside the airport emerge from another lift. Oh, yeah. Um, but now we see that they are outside the airport and are not taking many pains to be sensitive to the other people on the street because the way we get alerted to their presence nearby is because of someone who's just been knocked over by them. Yes, even before Jet explicitly tells you, you get a sense that these guys are much lower rent villains than we've seen before. Like, 
when we've seen gangs before in the show it's usually been the syndicate and you've been you've had people in quite nice suits there's been kind of a sense of a fairly organized scenario here whereas these guys are much more dressed in slightly tatty ratty clothing and going about things in this very amateurish way where they're making a lot of noise and could have probably caught Rocco if they'd just not attacked an old man for no reason (laughs) yeah and uh that's when Rocco alerted to their presence clutches his package tightly um (laughs) and then in what I think is still a bit of a surprising move hands it to Spike to look after and tells him to meet him in a certain place and then runs away yeah, it's a remarkable amount of trust. Yeah. Now we have basically just an exposition scene where we go back to the bebop and we have Jet explaining that this week's bounties are Rocco and the gang. Well, Picaro Calvino is the leader and uh, Rocco and the gang are who we're going to be chasing this week. Yeah, and that's when Spike realises that Rocco is one of those people and reveals that the package he was hastily handed contains this very, very expensive plant that is going to save people from this unpleasant illness that people are suffering from. Yes, this very, very expensive and clearly stolen plant. Yes, and a lovely bell jar. Yes, yeah, it's a a beautiful little setup for that plant. Yeah, it's quite a fragile thing to be carrying around as well. Needs some bubble wrap or something. He's saying one should always wrap one's package. Protection is important. And protection is important when it comes to a crucial package like this. Um, so, we, at which point... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm now just thinking about when Spike takes the covering off of the bell jar, just sort of unsheathing. And, uh, yep. That pause there was just for you to think of the dirtiest way you could describe that, wasn't it? It had already occurred to me, I just wasn't sure if I should say it out loud. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, this is probably my Jet Black Space Dad moment for the episode, which it's not a great episode for Jet Black Space Dad, Mm. um, but just Faye being like, oh, let's sell it, and him being like, no, no, it's better not to get involved with this sort of thing. Yeah, I think I'd probably agree with you that it was just a couple of sparse comments you get from Jet Black Space Dad throughout. I did like earlier a couple of tiny things that he said, one of which is when Faye and Spike successfully get the bounty, we get a brief shot of Jet Black on the ship stroking Ein the dog yeah. and saying, wow, oh, effectively, well done me, that is all thanks to me. Um, <laughs> I can't remember what the words he uses, but that, that's the essence of what he's saying. <laughs> Something about, like, all thanks to the master. I think something like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. So this discussion scene concludes with Faye deciding that she's going to go after Picaro and Spike saying that he's going to try and meet up with Rocco. And Faye asks him, why are you going? You know, you're going to meet him later. And Spike replies that Lady Bounty is very fickle. Ah, yes. What do you think of that question? Why are you going? You already arranged to meet him later. I don't know. It's not something I thought that hard about when I was watching it. Fair enough. It struck me that for somebody who was so reluctant to get involved with Rocco initially, it's maybe a bit telling that he can't stop himself finding out a bit more now that he's invested. Mm, Yeah, and I do think once he sees that Rocco is a bounty... 
yeah. there's a little click in his head that's saying that's not as simple as it looks, is it? Because of what he's already witnessed of Rocco. Yes. Yeah. So he seems like perhaps he wants to. Yeah, I think I think he already has an idea that this person is much better than they are getting an- the opportunity to be. Yes. Yeah. Or presenting as or as seen by the world. Yeah. yeah. At this point, we have three narratives that there's lots of very short scenes that are overlapping and interweaving. So what we're going to do is cover each of them in its entirety until the narratives come back together rather than chopping and changing between scenes all the time. The first one is Spike going off to explore the shuttle where Stella is living. Yeah, and we have quite a lovely establishing shot of this location that he arrives at because it seems to be massively overgrown with roots and what appears to be tree trunks yeah, or possibly just one giant tree sort of growing out through everything, which looks really cool, although we don't get much more than that once we're inside it. Um, But it's clearly a very dilapidated place. Yes, the further you get from the centre of this city on Venus, the more you get a sense of this vegetation, which they say was used to terraform it initially. Oh, yes. And there are these weird things that look like some kind of station in the sky, those clusters of plants in the sky growing around this technical equipment, but it all looks quite overgrown and dilapidated. And there's a sense that though this might have been initially set up to help, it's now taken on a life of its own and is shaping the lives of the people around it. And when the plane was landing, they mentioned that the plants cause sickness in some people, which is about to become very relevant. Yes, as Spike briefly explores, he is very quickly accosted by a young woman with a gun who doesn't do too well at trying to threaten him with the gun. And very quickly, Spike is communicating with her about the fact that he's there because of Rocco and Stella's face immediately lights up at mention of his name. Um, And then they are having tea Um, when they go to the table where they're sitting. There's a brief shot of this windowsill that has all these really quite delicate, beautiful little things on it. Oh, yes. Which is in stark contrast to the rest of the place that she's residing in. There's this little collection of feminine things that feels like her attempts to make this place feel a bit more hers. And also very indicative of who she is, I suppose, that she's in a place that isn't where she would choose to be. Yes, definitely. A place that's hiding the nature of her and who she is. When she, in discussion with Spike, uh, mentions both you and Rocco have something beautiful deep within you. As she's saying that line, you get a shot of the outside of the ship where it's this rusted hull, this smeared window and all this overgrowth. And you can just see Spike and Stella talking from the outside. The landscape is mirroring what she's saying. There's this beautiful, intimate moment taking place between these two people within this space that nobody would think would house anything like that. Mm, This is where we learn that Stella has become blind as a result of the experience on this planet that we mentioned. Yes. She has the sickness that will be saved by this plant that her brother, as we are also told in this moment, Rocco, has stolen and is on the run trying to get it to her, it would seem. Yes, although she doesn't appear to know the specifics of what he's doing. Yeah. The package that we saw Rocco trying to send in the airport is the one that is this music box that Stella shows to Spike. And when Spike opens it up, he finds a bag of seeds, but Stella doesn't know that. Yes, and he 
pockets it, leaving you to question his motives until later in the episode. But he does have a lovely little introspective moment as a result of Stella saying about, I think you have something beautiful inside you, like Rocco. Yeah, that Spike looks out the window and has this moment wondering about that statement. Yes, and saying, I I think I lost that a long time ago. Mm. The classic hero staring out of a window moment. (laughs) Yes. An interesting thing about the blindness here is it means Spike, we we were talking about, is very much somebody who has, who's always presenting a persona and whether he looks it or not, is very consciously aware of what he's projecting to the people around him. So I think it's kind of, you get a sense that, I mean, Stella says that thing about something beautiful inside you and she seems to have a sense of what sort of person he is and because she can't see him. I think he has less ability to pretend around her. Mm-hmm. Maybe she gets a clearer vision of what he's like than most other people around him. Yeah, and she even says that she wouldn't mind if she continued to be blind for the rest of her life. Yes. And that she's found that way of existing that she enjoys and she does have this way of reading people or seeing the good in people without being able to see them. Yeah, her saying that is one of many things in this episode which makes you feel the tragedy of it more at the end that it's like none of this needed to happen it's Mm -hmm. just a series of bad luck and bad decisions brings everybody to where they are at the end yeah and yeah we have the the music box playing which has this very kind of nostalgic sweet tempered piece playing unlike most music boxes which tend to feel creepy So to complete the mini arc that Spike has separate to the other characters, he returns to the Bebop and has a conversation with Jet where he tries to find out how much these seeds might be worth, but actually keeps from Jet that he has got these seeds in his possession, Yeah, which is interesting. Jet seems pretty dim to not pick up on it. Do you not think that? <laughs> well, but that's uh, that's a trope you get across literature, isn't it? When you're like, you know that character so well, how can you not tell that they yes. are acting weird? Yeah, that so- the, the episode requires you not to know this thing, so you don't pick up on the very obvious. Yeah, huh, that's a strange thing for him to ask about. Oh well, not going to think about that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, you said you thought it was an interesting decision for him not to share it with Jet. Yeah, I still don't quite know why he well maybe because he's already spike has already decided what he's going to do with them i guess but then why ask how much money they're worth like why what because he knows he's going to try and take them back to help so my theory about this ties into why he steals them from stella which is if he leaves them with stella then she'd have to get involved in trying to sell these things herself And similarly, if he shares the knowledge of it with Jet, then that implicates Jet. Whereas if he just sells the seeds on his own, he kind of avoids dirtying anyone else with the implications of of what he's doing. He can just help these people and then move on. Mm. Um, Yeah, it does seem as though, for whatever reason, he's not telling Jet because he thinks that Jet's opinion will make him feel judged in some way or another. Maybe he's afraid that if he tells Jet about this, because Jet doesn't have any sympathy with Rocco or Stella, Jet will want to use it against them rather than for them. Yeah. Um, Which, yeah. I suspect, to be honest, if Jet knew about this, he'd be as keen to help them as Spike is, but... Yes. uh, But he doesn't, so... Although he is quite an impartial person most of the time, unless it directly affects Spike. Yeah. He tends to be of the opinion, stay out of more trouble. 
Um, uh, but yes, that's Spike's mini arc. Yeah. And then we'll move on to Rocco, who is on the run, really. Yeah, running around this bazaar and hides under a manhole cover and then a little cat threatens to give him away and he says, shh, do it. <laughs> that scene doesn't really need to be there, but it's kind of... This episode works very hard to make you like Rocco, and that's one of the moments which it's it's pretty effective, to be honest. Yeah, it reminded me of Indiana Jones that bit. Yes, it is quite Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah, this character that's running through a sort of uh, international market, I yeah. suppose. Venus seems to have quite a Turkish flavour, like the tea glasses that Stella serves Spike um, oh, yeah. tea in their Turkish tea glasses, and then. We see the cathedral later, which is visually modelled on the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. Oh, okay. Yeah, Rocco running around, and, and then we get to him being... This This is another instance in Cowboy Bebop where there's a fight in a bathroom. Yes, what is it with bathrooms? <laughs> so many instances where characters meet and are about to get beaten up, or are in fact beaten up within the bathroom. So Rocco goes up... I was going to say Rocco rocks up to one of the urinals and merrily starts relieving his package and and then to discover that Picaro is at the one next to him. Doing the same thing. Yeah. Yes. And then we get the rest of the uh, ineffective bad guys we saw earlier arriving at the same bathroom, <laughs> reporting that we still can't find him, boss. And... Then there he is. Yeah, he's just like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> this scene is, is really pretty funny. There's a nice little gag where one of the goons tells one of the others that they need to remember to wash their hands. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all, all quite endearing, which I think makes it... And actually, Rocco up until now, we, it's only really, I guess, with Stella that we get a sense that there's something serious in Rocco's life because you, you, you have the sadder more nostalgic music from the music box whereas music that we've seen associated with Rocco before when he's arriving at the airport there's slipper sleeves which is that cool fun jazz piece and then there's felt tip pen which is the lazy twangy guitar piece there's a lot of stuff that makes you feel like everything about this guy is light-hearted mm -hmm. which is really a mean trick to disarm you. <laughs> yeah, think. but he still responds with that energy in these moments as well. Yeah. You know, like you say, he sort of goes like, hi. <laughs> yes. It, yeah, you, you almost get a sense that he doesn't really think that anything bad is going to happen to him. Yeah, it just seems, yes, yeah, a bit of immaturity, a bit of naivety. Yeah. However, he fell in with this crowd. He certainly doesn't seem like a bad person from the way he behaves. He just no. seems quite, yeah, young, really. And yeah. doesn't take things seriously, even though we know that he's been running from these people, sweating in fear and stress, and we've seen all of that. But actually, he's still in the presence of it, quite jovial. Yes, yeah. Even at the start of the scene where he's about to get beaten up, he's doing this jokey energy of, oh, I dropped it. No, that's not going to work, is it? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's very abrupt tonal shift when they actually start beating him up. Yeah, when Picaro takes the cigar he's been smoking and stubs it out on his forehead. Yeah. And that's one of the more violent things we've seen, actually. I mean, in this episode, by far, it's the most violent thing we see. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the pain that Rocco feels when he does that. It certainly takes you by surprise. Yeah, yeah, it does. 
the episode clues you into the fact that this is going to be a grimmer and more violent scene just by the color palette up until now the color palette has been kind of quite warm light Mm -hmm. the general color palette of the planet is very warm sunny yellow and green and there's lots of natural light and stuff to make you feel warm and safe and nostalgic and then suddenly this yeah exactly yeah but then this scene is fully at night and it's in this more industrial landscape with this barbed wire fence that all kind of serves to set you on edge just before the violence hits yeah and that is where we'll leave Rocco for this mini arc yep. and then we go to Faye who has gone off on her own to find the big bad guy Picaro and she goes into a seedy bar lots of men stare at her bum and then she roughly picks up a guy who sat at a table to ask, yeah. where is he? And as I see, you've affectionately put down in the notes here, canoodling dudes. Oh, yes. So just, just <laughs> yes, canoodling what? dudes. Canoodling dudes? Canoodling sounds adorable and snuggly and sweet. I think these guys are quite adorable and snuggly and sweet, aren't they? I mean, we don't see very much of them, but they don't seem... I'm. Uh, hang on. Are we talking... The, t- the two guys in bed with each other is who oh, I meant by the, the canoodling, canoodling dudes. dudes. Sorry, yeah. I'm so sorry. I forgot about those canoodling dudes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, that, that's in a minute. So just going back to this, this smoky bar for a second. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, quite unusual. In this episode, Faye is actually good at her job. <laughs> yeah. All these guys out of the shadows pull guns on her and she just instantly shoots them out of their hands and... On the plane earlier, she's very easily able to take down this bounty. So, yeah, yeah, she's very calm and collected. Yeah. It's nice to see that, even though she's not really in this episode very much, that they, they've stopped giving her the damsel in distress role quite as much. They have, yes. Yeah, and she goes straight from this bar yeah. um, to, yes, a, a bedroom where, as Sam has implied, two lovely gentlemen are exchanging packages underneath a sheet. <laughs> And and actually, despite my confusion before, I do absolutely agree with you. It's quite tender what they appear to be up to. Yeah, they're just having a nice, lovely canoodle that Faye barges in there and interrupts with a face like thunder. Yeah. Um, and discovers nothing at all. No, she she even as she's flying back, she says this was a wild goose chase, and it was. It was kind of just to give her something to do. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's kind of nice that you know these didn't have to be two guys canoodling and it's just shown as kind of a normal part of the universe which is uh, yeah it certainly wasn't tokenism it was just reality yeah exactly i think this episode is quite like that i don't know whether you feel this but this episode feels a lot more realistic than a lot of the ones we've had before yes it felt like it could be an episode from a drama with the hints of comedy that you'd get in those kind of shows yeah, Stella and Rocco's story is, okay, there's quite a lot of melodrama to it, but it's quite down to earth. They want money and they're involved in this small time gang and there's none of the operatic grandeur of ballads. Yeah. Um, although that said, we're about to get to a scene with some of the operatic grandeur of ballad. <laughs> <laughs> we're also back in a cathedral. Another space cathedral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that is our three separate arcs now come back together again with Spike arriving at this cathedral to meet Rocco. And Rocco, you can still see the mark on his forehead. They have kept that there from when he had the cigar stubbed out on it. Yes. Um, But otherwise appears unharmed. 
physically unharmed. Emotionally, his posture is very, very different from it how is. we've ever seen him before. Yeah. In fact, he's looking very like Spike as he walks. There's that slow shot as the camera pans across the columns of the cathedral and you hear his footsteps and then you see him walking in with his fingers in his pockets, very remin- reminiscent of the way that Spike was walking when he came into the cathedral in Ballad. Mm. And there's very much a sense of kind of the grandeur and the emptiness of the place all weighing on him and him realising the reality of his situation. Yeah, and Spike does present himself as a very impartial presence. He doesn't put anything onto the situation other than telling the facts. Yes, that He arrives that's true. there and tells Rocco that he knows what's in the package. He knows it's this plant. He knows about Stella, his sister. And Rocco emotionally responds, as you might expect, and pulls a gun on him. Yeah. But Spike is really, he feels very like the parent in this moment. Yes, he does, definitely. Yeah, he's hes there to support, actually. He doesn't try and direct Rocco in any way. There's this level of trusting the young Rocco to sort of make his own choices. Yeah, that he'll do the right thing, that he has that capacity to grow. Yeah. I think this episode does a really good job of making you believe that there's such a strong relationship between these two, despite the fact that at this point they've only met once. Mm. Yeah, we've gone from that teenager, younger brother energy at the beginning to father-son, but mature father and son relationship. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a different side of Spike than we've ever seen before. Yes, and all these goons come out of the shadows, which doesn't seem to have surprised Spike at all. I'm pretty sure he already knew they were there. But you have Rocco kind of pleading for Spike's life and still, I think, maybe just hanging on to that mindset of everything's going to be all right just a little bit until Mm. he finally, with that guidance from Spike, decides he needs to take action and goes and attacks one of the goons to stop him shooting Spike. Yeah, Rocco tries to very quickly, as soon as the bad guys arrive, tries to defend Spike before trying to make sure that he will be the one to save his sister. You know, he doesn't think, I'll take the plant and run or manipulate the situation to make sure he gets the plant or something. The first thing he says is about, don't hurt Spike. Yeah. Please. I think, you know, he even says, please. Yeah, he's, he's just thinking, I don't see why it needs to be this way. Like Stella said, there's that kindness, beauty in him as a person. Um, Yeah. But then it does devolve into a shootout in a cathedral. I mean, if you've got a bunch of people with guns in a cathedral and an episode of Cowboy Bebop, you'd be pretty disappointed if there wasn't a big shootout. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it does go as you'd expect, really. People ducking behind pillars and shooting. And then Faye and Jet arrive in the ship to assist in the shooting. Need to have some more explosive things. And because the ship has bigger guns, we then have debris falling from the building and... You know, and Jet in the back of the ship going, Faye, calm down! Yes. <laughs> and also Spike on the ground going, Faye, calm down! <laughs> <laughs> Faye apparently having no respect for this religious building that she's just... I mean, I think Spike and Jet are mostly worried about her shooting these people, but man, the amount of property damage here has got to be like many, many times any bounty they would, they would get on these people. There's a lovely, fun jazz theme playing under this fight as well. It's called Odd Ones, and it's quite loose and flowy and improvisational. It feels like, almost in music, what Spike and Bruce Lee were describing about being like water, having this fluidity, even though what's going on is very violent in Mm. in theory. Yeah, and of course we then have Rocco 
demonstrating that moment where he remembers what Spike was trying to teach him earlier in the episode and does exactly what Spike did to him to one of these bad guys and uses the momentum they were using to chase him to trip him over. And it does feel that there's just a mini Karate Kid subplot there. And it is its own way of showing a redemption arc for Rocco, showing he's willing to listen and learn and have that fluidity and ability to be tranquil. And also that Spike is willing to teach and take on that role because he sees Rocco and gives him this big thumbs up. Oh, I missed the thumbs up. Yeah, no, Rocco's looking at him as if, did I do it right? And Spike just goes, <laughs> sorry, uh, I did a thumbs up, which you can't see because this is a <laughs> podcast. But uh, yeah, and Rocco just looks like the happiest person in the world. Yeah. Um, then he collapses. Yep. Yeah, he's a- shot and goes down. And by this point, you know, there's there's been various people have been shot and Spike obviously is okay. Most yep. of the danger has passed and he goes over to Rocco and, yeah, desperately as, as asks him to stay alive. Yeah, Vicar begs him to, to stay alive. The moment where Rocco is shot as well, the music cuts out and you have another one of these horrible stark tonal shifts that hmm. going over begging Rocco to stay alive. and Yeah. But I don't think we as the audience have any illusions that Rocco is going to be all right. Yeah. And one of the saddest things about that moment is that Spike says to him, you know, don't die, and says he's going to go get help, walks away, and then Rocco has his last words to nobody, thinking (laughs) that Spike can hear him. Yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? It's really, really sad. Yeah. And asking whether, you know, in another, you know, in another they, life, do you think we would have been friends? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really sad. Yeah. It's also, I think, the most openly emotionally involved we've seen Spike. You can tell all he's thinking about is how do I keep this guy alive mm. at this stage? Um, at least Spike reassures Rocco that he's going to take care of Stella. So he does at least leave the world knowing, A, he did the cool kung fu thing. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, calls him master as well in yeah. those last couple of minutes. Yes, yeah. yeah. And uh, that Stella will be looked after. Yep. But then you have this shot again. It's basically the same angle of shot that you had where Spike and Rocco were speaking to each other and Spike calls to Rocco, but it's just now the cathedral is wrecked and there's smoke coming out of it and there's Rocco lying on the ground. Mm. And then we move into Spike and Stella in the hospital. Yep, the final, well, penultimate scene. Yeah, with Stella sat in the bed. Still can't see yet. But she excitedly hearing someone come through the door, hoping it's Rocco. Spike announces himself instead. And Stella very happily explains that the seeds, which she believes Rocco has found of this miraculous plant, has been given to this place and it's going to save her and she's going to be able to see again. And she asks Spike to go and tell Rocco to get here as soon as possible so the first thing she sees can be her brother. This episode just keeps twisting the knife, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Talking about it more now, I feel even sadder than when I watched it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> package. Package. Just say package. <laughs> but yes, yeah, Spike sits down next to her with a bouquet of flowers as well yeah. for her sickbed. There is silence from Spike. Stella asks if he's in prison. Spike yeah. says no. And then she asks, is he dead? And Spike can't answer, so or doesn't answer, so she just reaches out and touches his face. Presumably to try and get more perspective, you know, on the, on yeah. the moment, since she can't see. Yeah. 
Although I think she probably, at the point where she's reaching out, she probably already has figured out. Mm. Yeah. But I suppose that that's that desperate moment where you're hoping it might not be true. Yeah. Maybe if I reach out and touch his face, I'll feel a smile or something. Yeah. Rather than the dead sadness that his face conveys. Yeah. yeah. And she then very, very ironically, at least in the English dub, says, I see. Oh, yeah. That hadn't occurred to me. <laughs> but yes. I guess in this moment, she both doesn't see literally and doesn't see figuratively because she says that Rocco died because he did something bad. Mm. But Spike reassures her that it was, as she knew without looking, that Rocco was a great guy. Mm. Yeah, and I I liked there's a little shot of her um, as Spike's leaving and she actually calls out to him again. She says, I think you should go, effectively. But then as he's walking away, she asks him a question about what we're saying about Rocco. And as she asks that, we have a little shot of her hands just sort of twiddling together in yeah. that way that people do when they're, you know, sad, stressed. And, I, and just that little moment, again, adds a little bit more to the poignancy. And then the final scene of the episode, we have Spike down on the street. He goes and buys a drink from a vendor. And then we have the seeds falling from the sky, the kind of fluffy ones you get from dandelions type thing yeah. that float through the air in this very beautiful, ethereal way. And they're just filling the entire sky. And we have a lot of lingering shots of it from different perspectives. We have high up in the sky looking down on Spike. We have Spike looking up in a way that's reminiscent of the moment we had with Rocco when he was flat on the ground looking up. Oh, yeah, I hadn't made that connection. But yeah, it is very like that. Yeah. And we also get another shot of Stella up in her hospital room, um, head turned towards the window where we can see them falling. We don't know if she can see yet. Maybe she can, Mm. and if she can, that's quite a beautiful thing to see for the first time. But also a bittersweet thing, because, of course, these spores are the things that have caused all the damage. Yeah. There's also the music box theme is playing again from the music box that uh, Rocco sent to Stella. And there's also, before we even see Spike, we see shots of lots of other people going about their business in the bazaar. We do, yeah. There's kind of this sense of this awful thing has happened life goes on everybody can see these spores but only these two have had them have this particular effect on their lives and we'll be thinking about them in this way yeah and again what you were saying before about how this episode feels like there's more reality to it like the the everyday experience of people in this particular reality so yeah that's the end of the episode i guess it is the end of the episode um feels very low energy now mm. package package ha 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 it doesn't it feels hollow now did this episode change the way you think about Spike as a person? I think it's part of a growing sense of change around my opinions on Spike. Like I mentioned at the beginning that there's more and more instances of this introspective um, feeling from Spike yeah. where we have the moment when he looks out the window with, with Stella when he's thinking about, you know, I've lost my goodness or so he thinks. Mm. And that sense of fatigue that he carries around all the time. Yeah. Which, yeah, we see repeatedly in other episodes. So, yeah, and he certainly seems a more... There's far more to want to think about than I used to have. And just in general, I am finding myself wanting to watch the next one. Oh, good. I'm really which, glad you Which said does that. mean that because we're recording these one at a time and so I'm watching them one at a time, it does mean that I'm a bit like, each time I watch another one, I'm like, have to get the momentum back again. <laughs> yeah, that you, you had at the end of each last one. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, it, I am enjoying them more and more. 
Oh, that's that's excellent to hear. Yeah, like the fact that I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm seeing foreshadowing and oh, I'm seeing connections with characters across different arcs and oh. And you're definitely picking up on all of that really quickly. There's a big web of thought forming in your mind around this show. <laughs> My brain is very good at that, actually. Yeah. It's why I was so good at bullshitting through English seminars at university. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. That's basically what we're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> it was all for this. <laughs> Hooray. Who said you'll never use that in real life? Is this real life? Uh, it's a version of it. So, on to the rankings. I haven't thought in advance about the rankings. I'm going to yeah look at my list and think about it. This is definitely one of my favourites. Mm-hmm. Um, so, your current top three are... Ballads of Fallen Angels, Stray Dog Strut, and Asteroid Blues. Yeah. I'm thinking, hmm, possibly first? Yeah, I was I was weighing up whether this goes first or second. Yeah, me too. I think I, I absolutely love Ballad of Fallen Angels, but there's I find there's an extent to which I'm more impressed technically by Ballad. Like, I think it's maybe a more perfect episode this one there's some stuff in it where actually i feel like it could have done with another draft there's some things in it which don't really make sense like why rocco doesn't realize spike is a bounty hunter until the final scene even though he's witnessed him capturing a bounty in the first scene <laughs> yeah. uh you'd have thought i mean you can say there's no spike doesn't go oh by the way i'm a bounty hunter in that scene but you'd have thought he ought to have picked up on that really yeah um, possibly yeah and then there's yeah other things like that where like where he tries to knife spike initially apparently fully confident that spike will be able to handle it but then is worried when spike tells him to run at him the second time where if you were worried now why weren't you worried then sort of thing <laughs> um yeah I, yeah you could certainly pick some holes if you wanted to well i, I don't want to because i really like this episode as well but yeah. i'm aware that liking it a lot it it does just keep throwing those aren't the only things that there it does just keep throwing these things at me where i'm like you that doesn't make sense and it it pulls me out of it for a second right um on the other hand i do feel more emotionally involved in this one than i did with ballad yeah so. i think overall i agree with what you're saying um that yes technically speaking there was so much with ballad the songs and the music and the way it was cut together and it also it feels like for me that it sets you up for a lot more to discover in Ballad. You yeah. know, it feels like it's the start of this much bigger story that we have yet to completely uncover. Um, but that's also the reason why I would probably be inclined to push it into second, because the emotional connection yeah. is the bit that I personally find to be much more um, engaging. Mm. Yeah, so as a standalone episode, it's made much more of an impact. On you, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're you're gonna put it first then. I am, yeah. Oh, I'm so torn. <laughs> oh. I feel like, are you torn because on some nerdy level, some slightly snobbish bebop level, if you were to push ballad off of the top, some people would be upset with you. Oh no, I'm I'm perfectly aware <laughs> that that's the ballad will get pushed off the top at some point. I'm just oh, saying okay. that, and it is a lot of people's favorite episode. No, I think it's I think it's just I'm torn between do I want perfection or do I want maximum emotion even if that emotion is got out by means that if I stop to think about it don't really work. Um 
But then, gosh, we're going to have to cut this down so much. I'm taking, <laughs> I'm making such a meal of this. All right, I'm going to put Waltz for Venus second and Ballad first. Okay. If nothing else, just so we have the point of difference, we can discuss at some point. <laughs> uh, but it's very, very close. Those are definitely the top two. Talk about emotional involvement, actually. Last, we talked about Heavy Metal Queen. And in, in the moment where they're trapped in the asteroid tunnel, the first time I watched that with Pichon, she turned to me like with her face full of terror and was like, what's going to happen? <laughs> I was... I wish I could suspend my disbelief to that level, that I could be seriously in this, you know, not particularly standout episode, seven episodes into a 26 episode series that they might just kill off two of the three main characters. Uh, well, it'd be such a great way to be able to watch TV. Literary theory would have a lot to say about that, that you can still feel tension Yeah. when you know the ending. Like a lot of like Greek yeah, stuff you- is built on that you know exactly what's going to happen from the beginning you know that's like the chorus's job in what we think of in in western culture at the least is like the origins of literature and narrative is that greek idea where they tell you everything at the beginning you know that people aren't you know exactly who's going to die and you know why they're going to die and everybody probably knows the story going into the theater anyway even if somebody doesn't tell you Yeah, yeah but the nature of at least the arguments that they have around this with catharsis is that there's a part of you that you can remove from reality, you can suspend disbelief while still holding the idea that this could be real and that ability to hold to opposite feelings that, um, what's the word for for that? Um, Uh, I can't remember. Oh, there's a lovely, lovely word that means two things that you can hold opposing ideas in your head at the same time cognitive dissonance no no that's not that's not what you're talking about it's something else um but yeah anyway we know what you're talking about where yeah yeah, you can feel something even if your brain is telling you it's not true i just i can appreciate that intellectually i just wish i had paradox paradox yes (laughs) that's the word Uh, got there yeah no you're 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 definitely right but can you turn off that part of your brain which is aware of the genre completely? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm... It's not that she doesn't watch TV and know these things, but she just appears to be a master at fully engaging and in yeah, whatever she's Yeah, I, I know a couple of people in my life who are capable of that, and I'm very jealous of it. Yeah, it would be great, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I've got a friend who I went to see some improv comedy with, and he does fully immerse himself in things. Mm. And he's, he's a wonderful person as well. And we are watching a scene, and this is improv comedy, bearing in mind. So there are low stakes across everything. It's meant to make people giggle. And it was a scene with two people in a romantic relationship, and they're having an argument. And he was sat next to me, genuinely going, oh no, what's going to (laughs) happen? And and it's just utter, genuine emotion. Yeah. And I'm, how do you do that in this moment, in this environment, (laughs) even more so? Oh, being anyway. transfixed the ideal audience really yeah oh yeah he's fantastic yeah mm. i managed to watch the preview in advance this time um yeah we're finally meeting the fourth person in the poster pictures effectively excuse me fourth what did i say oh sorry fifth yeah sorry because i'm the dog counts definitely. and i and i'm definitely didn't forget that He's, he's so relevant in all these recent episodes. <laughs> yes, we're going to meet, finally, the last of the characters that I have always known will appear at some point and must be significant since they're in all the, these main pictures yep. they use in the advertising for the show. Ed calls themselves Ed, 
and Ed speaks in the third person, and Ed chose their own name. It's Edward, blah bloody blah many other names. Edward Wonghao Pepelutivruski the fourth. That's what I said. And <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to meet that character. As to what else is going to happen, not sure. <laughs> I was really just overridden watching the preview with the sound of that character <laughs> introducing <Yep>. themselves. <laughs> Expect that energy from that character when you get to the episode. That's, that's definitely <laughs> just what they're like. I also enjoyed Spike's little parting shot. How can you be the fourth if you invented this name? <laughs> <laughs> Although that felt more like something I would say than something he would say. <laughs> uh, Maybe that's why you like him so much. You can see yourself in him sometimes. I think that's probably the only moment where I can see myself in him. You do also do martial arts. Yes, but he does them well. <laughs> You just got a new belt that you're very proud of. I can't remember what colour it is, but I remember... It's, it's purple. See, that's a good belt. Based on what? What are you basing that on? It's closer to black than yellow, which I'm pretty sure is the first one. Yeah, yellow is the, the first one. The colours basically just white. get darker. The, the darker the colour, the, the more impressive you are. The more deadly. That's true. Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of true. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sam is moderately deadly, so mind your comments. I could probably beat a sack of potatoes, provided it didn't move about too much when I hit it. What about, like, in Rocky when he's beating up a carcass? Um, I mean, I'd probably vomit before. That that's would probably fair, you be are the a veggie, problem. so I appreciate that that's, that's I, I, you know, <laughs> my bad. Yeah, that's the operative factor in being not being happy about <laughs> punching a corpse. Anyone who isn't a vegetarian. No, and, 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 <laughs> it's not a corpse of a person. Uh, this is where I admit I haven't actually seen Rocky. Okay. <laughs> no, it, as part of his training, there's like a, a meat locker. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, and he has to... And, yeah, and, and he punches like half of a pig carcass. Oh, like Abdul Hakim. Uh, yes, and I believe I referenced it when we were watching that episode at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I don't listen to you, clearly. Uh. <laughs> well, I'd forgotten that that was a reference from some other time in fairness, so... Okay. But there we go. There's a callback from some time ago. Hooray. That's always nice. Yep, a lovely, lovely callback to punching a dead pig. Yep. Is there anything else we should say? No, I don't have anything else, no. In that case, there is nothing left to say except see you, space canoodlers. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at realfolkreviews at gmail.com, look up our Facebook page, or find us on Reddit at u slash the Thanks for listening.